Welcome back to The Backmarkers, the F1 podcast for new fans by new fans. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by my co-host, Austin Evans. Hi, Austin. Mike, we have picked such a great season to start this show. It is all popping off. It's the best. Austin Evans, hit us with the recap of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, the second race of the 2022 season. So top line, the results were Max Verstappen wins and a nail-biting finish right over Charles Leclerc. We also had Carlos coming in for a 2-3, coming in uh, on the Ferrari side. And then going down the rest of the order, we had Checo coming in at fourth. We had George Russell for Mercedes in fifth. Esteban Ocon in sixth. Lando Norris, surprisingly, got all the way up to seventh. And then rounding out the top ten, we have Pierre Gasly, Magnussen, and Lewis Hamilton. So, uh... A lot happened in the race. A bunch of cars just immediately stopped working at one point. I think there was two cars broken in the pit lane like entrance at one point, and the final tally was only 12 cars finished the race, which uh, most of them were just broken, not actually crashed, although we had some of those too. It was, it was eventful. <laughs> yep. Uh, and as of recording right now, there is a possibility of some uh, potential penalties. We're going to keep an eye on that throughout the race which actually is a good point of like thank you to everybody for tuning in for our second episode uh we got tons of kind and encouraging words about the show so many people excited that we're doing this i think as excited as we are to be doing this which is awesome um we've done a few things uh i've if you are watching the live video or the video on demand don't forget there is a video version of this show if you are just listening to the audio you can find it on our youtube channel uh I've made some tweaks to the graphics, um, and that is a work in progress because t- the issue is I can make the graphics really look good, or I can do the graphics quickly because we're trying to go live as soon as we can after the race. I'm not sure which is going to be the right way to do things. We're working it out. But I think we have done stuff, some, some stuff to make the graphics clearer uh, for teams and stuff like that, so hopefully you'll enjoy those. Um, and also, we're going to also make sure that in future we're paying more attention to our live stream chat because when we are streaming live, there is a chat that we can read and also because it can help us lean on some things uh, for some more information. Like maybe if we want to lead into some follow-up, uh, something that was kind of happening uh, a little bit after the race and we found out more after. Can you tell the Backmarkers audience who may have missed out, Austin, what happened to the Red Bulls last week? So last week was the very first race, not only of the season, but of these brand new vehicles. And because of that, there were some real reliability issues pretty much entirely on the Red Bull powertrain side of things. So about 10 laps or so before the end of the race, Pierre Gasly's car just caught on fire, which, you know, happens sometimes, I guess. But then in the last couple of laps, both Max as well as Checo on the Red Bull side had race-ending issues. Max actually ended up seeming like after the, the race and they kind of broke it down, they had a, he had a few things going on where I think he, they had like broken his track route or something during a pit stop and then he yeah. ended up having a fuel pump slash delivery issue. They were still a little bit cagey on exactly what happened. And I heard something about like a vacuum, like because they're using, this is something I didn't know until after the race last time, that they're actually using slightly different fuel. It's one of the more like less known, it seems like uh, parts of the regulation because it's maybe not as exciting, but it is more, uh, I think it's 10% is renewable fuel. It's like it's ethanol fuel. Exactly. And apparently because of this, there is a new fuel pump and apparently there was an issue with the vacuum at the fuel pump because Red Bull hadn't fully tested this, and which was why all of the Red Bull cars seemed to struggle last time. And the fun thing going into today's race was 
like I don't know if you caught it beforehand, um, but they were like a little bit like, oh, we haven't actually, <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> because they couldn't have done the full test required, right? Like a full race test. So it seems, yeah. like, this, it seems like whatever changes they were able to make, they, they, they made them. Yeah, absolutely. And it, what was interesting was obviously both Red Bull cars crossed the finish line and didn't, you know, sputter out or something. But we also had a lot more unreliability with the rest of the field, right? So yeah. like we were saying earlier, there was a point, I think uh, 20 laps or so to go, where I think two, three cars all broke simultaneously. It was Valtteri Bottas. It was Danny Rick. It was, oh God, I'm going to forget who else was it. There were there were three so or four there was, cars. There was Daniel Ricciardo and yep. Fernando Alonso. Oh, Alonso. They both they both cut out. Bottas was already in the pits and they retired him. Right, and I still actually never heard. I feel like the TV coverage completely avoided what actually happened to Valtteri there, which sucked because he was having a really nice little race there. But it was yep. chaos. But then, of course, at the end, that was when it really all popped off. But I guess before Man, we I, go... <laughs> oh, I, I just say on Alonso, I felt so bad for him. Did you catch the moment when he hit his helmet? Oh. Yeah, like me and Athena at the same time point, we went, oh, like I felt so bad for him because he, he looked so sad walking away there and he seemed so mad. But I know. And it's such because he had a saying? great scrap earlier in mm. the race with Ocon. Mm-hmm. They were going back and forth, I think, to the uh, chagrin of uh, Otmar over on their team principal side. It was like, stop racing with each other. There's everyone else out here. Uh, but mm-hmm. it was a good, good scrap. But before we go into the full recap of the race, there was a very eventful weekend before oh. the cars even hit the track this morning. Yep. Uh, mm. Yeah. So okay. I don't think we're always going to talk about qualifying, right? Like yeah. it's it's not necessarily going to be something that is important, um, quote unquote important after the race, right? Yeah. Because everything has played itself out. But this week was just wild. So we start with was it in FP one? It was, I believe, in between FP1 and FP2 or toward the beginning of FP2, I believe. That there was uh, an explosion close to the track. Uh, and a, I think it was an Aramco, which is, the, uh, which is both a sponsor of Formula One and Aston Martin, their uh, gas company, like an oil company, right? Yes, um, yes. And there was, due to the current ongoing war between Saudi Arabia and Yemen, I've had to try and learn a little bit about this week, which is something that I'll be honest, like I wasn't particularly aware of, which I feel bad about now. Um, But there was a missile attack from the, I think it's pronounced Houthi rebels in Yemen. Yes. Because Saudi Arabia is, basically there's war going on, which is like a whole strange thing because there's war going on in, in Ukraine, right? And Formula One were like, no Grand Prix for Russia. Yeah, but there's war going on with Saudi Arabia and Yemen, and they're like, "Yeah, don't worry about it." And it's not good. It's, it's not a good look. It's really unfortunate. I feel like the this year's also showing, while the racing has been great, that it is a tough time to run a worldwide championship with the way that things are right now. So there was a lot of drama that night. Um, there was a very, like, I think it was like a four-hour driver meeting where mm-hmm. all the team principals got together and like, okay, you know what? Let's keep doing with the race. It'll be fine. Because keep in mind that this sort of, like, missile uh, landed, it was like seven miles from the racetrack. Really quite you close. You could see it. You could you absolutely see it. see it. On the racetrack, you could see all the smoke. And yeah. they, like, apparently the drivers could smell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this clip of Max being like, I smell smoke. I'm not sure if it's me or someone else. And uh, no one told him, uh, that was a missile attack. Mm-hmm. Uh 
obviously it is uh, unusual to have literal war outside of a racetrack. That's not what you usually think about when you think F1. And so while the team principals seemed like they were generally speaking on board with continuing the race, the Grand Prix Drivers Association, which is led by George Russell, but it's essentially all 20 of the drivers are in a association really to kind of help promote safety, but also kind of just to help promote a lot of other things. They all got together. They basically just sort of made an impromptu meeting that took hours and hours late into the night. Team principals were coming and going. The CEO of F1, it was a big deal. And it seemed like even though since then they have, of course, decided to race and no one really was super clear on the details. A number of drivers seemed like they were not comfortable with the actual race continuing. However, and I don't want to get super into all the details, but like it's a problematic thing to, to do races in certain countries, including um, Saudi Arabia, which has a lot of very specific restrictions. And there was also practical benefits or sorry, practical issues with if they tried to cancel the race. Well, guess what? Where's everyone going to go? You can't just get 20 extra planes to come and pick up everyone who's there. So it yeah. seemed like the move was to continue the race. But uh, with Saudi Arabia having a very long term contract to continue into Formula One, I think it will be interesting to see now that this race is over and everyone's going to go home, what happens to the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix in the future? Because yep. there's a lot of money involved, but also there's a lot of um, well, there's a lot of issues with this uh, particular venue when it comes to Formula One. I mean, I'll say it, Saudi Arabia has a terrible track record of human rights abuses. So, yes. you know, you won't say it, I'll say it. <laughs> I get, you know, it's like we're just trying to have a Formula One podcast here, but here we are. But this is 2022, right? Like, there's no kind of no way around it. Yeah. I mean, and you, you are right. Like, do I expect that they're going to continue racing in Saudi Arabia? Yes, I do. However, when they were there, they kind of can't leave the country very easily, pulling out and leaving. Like, there was a thing uh, with the WWE wrestling a few years ago where yes. they have a similar deal with Saudi Arabia and there was some contract disputes about money and they wouldn't let a bunch of the talent leave. Yeah. So it is very complicated. But it is This is wild. where we are. It was a very strange backdrop for um, the session, but qualifying itself was just was really wild. So Lewis had a bunch of troubles throwing him right back in 16th is where he... Um, where he qualified, started from 15th because of... Danny Rick, I believe. Ricardo, the, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of Ricardo's uh, penalty. But of course, the big news was uh, Mick Schumacher's crash, which <sighs> was a real nasty, real, real nasty crash. I, that was that was tough. So last week, you know, we, we had a lot of action, but it was, generally speaking, a really fun, entertaining race. And then to start out, so just for context, if you're a new Formula One fan, this is only the second time that Formula One has raced at this particular track in Saudi Arabia. It is a street circuit, which means that, and unlike a, you know, more purpose-built racetrack, there are concrete barriers everywhere. At most tracks, if you get a little, you know, sideways or off, there's gravel, there's, you know, tire barriers, you know, there's, tires, there's a little bit yeah. of room for error. Saudi Arabia is one of the fastest tracks on the calendar. It has no room for error. It is incredibly exciting to watch, and it is a ridiculously fast track. But if you put a tire a few inches off somewhere, anywhere, you could easily go spear into a wall at 170 miles an hour, which is exactly what Mick Schumacher did, to the point where uh, his radio and everything cut out. So the TV feeds, because they didn't have you know any confirmation that he was okay, all cut away from it. And it was one of those very uncomfortable moments of, 
Is he okay? You see the ambulance getting there. You see all this stuff. And there was no news for, I mean, it felt like a long time. I think it was in being like 10 minutes or something. But if you're watching qualifying yesterday, you will know that that was a very scary thing to watch live. Yeah. And then that kind of is a combination of things. One, that when they picked up the car, the back end of the car broke away and fell apart. I've never seen an, a Formula One car split in half before. Um, that was a wild image. Like, it was so badly damaged. So Haas was saying between... Mick is okay. He seems absolutely completely fine. He was at the track today giving press interviews. But between the car being so damaged and them having so few parts available, Haas were worried that if Mick was to crash today, considering he also crashed in Jeddah last time, uh, that they are worried that they would not have enough of a car to put together uh, for Melbourne, which yeah. is the next race. So there was a concern that they would not be able to actually put a race on at all. So they decided to just sit him out for, of this one. Just so. fair enough. I mean, there's the cost cap. Has is you know traditionally one of the smaller teams, and especially this early in the season, you don't exactly have five spare cars just sitting in the garage. You can sort of wheel out, right? So. Mm-hmm understandable also even if they would have brought uh, another car out for him i mean he's gonna be starting from dead last it would be unlikely although i guess to be fair in a race like this there potentially were points but probably the right call not all the things just being said he might be fine sort of physically but after a big wreck like that it's not the worst idea take a couple days off kind of re-sort of set yourself for what will be a very exciting race hopefully which is in two weeks time in australia uh, yep. But if all that wasn't enough to set the stage, then we had a four-way shootout for pole won by none other than Sergio Perez, which I don't think anyone called going into this weekend. Nope. No, and it was kind of funny because immediately after qualifying ended, uh, Sky Sports here played a package of um, like that they'd put together a Verstappen and Leclerc and going back to the karting days. And it was kind of funny, like... <laughs> There's neither of these is Paul. <laughs> right? like, and obviously it ended up playing out fine for today, but it was kind of funny at the time. Uh, yeah, Sergio getting his first pole, which was fantastic for him. Yeah, after like um, 215 races, which is wild to think about. <laughs> which I will lead into, uh, we have a bunch, we're building up a bunch of great segments on this show, with the, which I'm enjoying about. One thing I want to do, by the way, Austin, is over the next few weeks, I want to start coming up with some fun names for these segments. But for the moment, underperformer of the race, Mike Hurley is giving it to the aforementioned Sergio Perez. I was really hoping for more for Sergio today. I mean, it was an unfortunate situation for him. I do not think that this was Sergio's fault. He had a very poorly timed pit because he pit, then then was it Latifi, right? Put the Williams into the wall, yep. caught, triggering a safety car, and then just a chain of pit stops <sighs> but i was i was expecting sergio to win today because he also had a pretty you know decent start it wasn't a perfect start he had a decent start but i was at least expecting him to be on the podium today and unfortunately he did he, didn't, yeah. he made neither happen coming in in fourth place look i am not gonna agree with you that he was the underperformer of the race but i will say that he was the unlucky person of the race right so he was leading furry kind of sort of faked them out they're very clear like we're going with plan a you know pit to overtake and then of course they just left him to hang out to dry and immediately he got completely screwed because there was the wreck there was the safety car everyone else got a nice clean easy pit stop and Checo came out in third 
slash fourth because as he came out, Carlos was just coming out and they ended up giving the position back. It was a mess. I agree that Checo should have really gotten at least a podium today, but I'm actually going to give the underperformer of the race for me to Carlos. Now, this is a race, just like last week, where both Red Bull and Ferrari seem to be very evenly matched on pace, right? And yet again, even though all four cars were the same and Checo you know, had the, the lead and everything, uh, it seems like things just weren't really clicking for Carlos. Uh, he did fine. He was respectable, but he was really just... In no man's land, the entire race, he was sort of by himself. You know, he was kind of a little bit back and forth with Checo, but like it was just, I feel like considering how well Max and Leclerc are doing right now, uh, Carlos should be up in that fight, in my opinion. I feel like Carlos ha- is that sort of same caliber of driver, but it seems like he's a little half step behind, much in the same way that Checo has, generally speaking, looked like he's a half step behind Max the last year and a half or so. So, I'd like to see a little bit more from Carlos. I feel like he really should be able to get up there and mix it up. Hopefully, he just needs a little bit of time to get on top of the car. But right now, it seems very clearly the uh, the Max and Charles show at the at the front at the moment. Yeah, I was gonna call foul on you there. I was like, oh, but he, your podium didn't do that bad. And then I looked at the f- finishing times, and Signs finished eight seconds behind Leclerc. That's a big gap. Especially because things were not well, somewhat neutralized toward the end, as well as you know, Max and Charles lost a lot of time fighting as well. So if they were sort of more holding station at the front, I think the gap would have been even larger. So yeah, and Perez was two point eight behind signs. So like that's a much you know, it's much closer, right? With yeah. all things considered. So yeah. yeah, it's an odd one. Like it's similarly, like in some of these things, we're 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 breaking our own rules, but I guess we can make our own rules. But like it's you know, it's funny to say like third and fourth being underperformers, <laughs> but genuinely for both of them, I was expecting more, especially when you know compared to last week's race, things were way more shaken up. Like you know, if you look at the driver standings this week compared to last week, things are looking. Really really, really different. So Charles is still up there uh, at top and Carlos right behind. But now Max coming up from no points is now in at third. George Russell in at fourth above Lewis Hamilton now because of the performance of this week. But then, you know, we had a lot of people like uh, Magnussen and Bottas were way higher and now way lower. And we're seeing people like Norris and Yuki now scoring points this week where they didn't last week. So kind of mixing up the order quite a bit. So, you know, obviously things were going to change a lot between uh, sessions one and two, but they have changed a lot after session two. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I Some surprises here. I mean, I don't think it's any surprise to see that we were going to quickly see Ferrari and Rebel kind of pull away. It doesn't really seem like anyone can challenge them at the moment. Um, yeah. especially with Mercedes almost being worse this week than they were last week because they got incredibly lucky last race, right? With the Red Bull retirements and whatnot. This time seemed like a little bit more of like where they were on raw pace, Lewis sort of notwithstanding, and they did fine. And George, again, had a very clean, by-himself kind of race. But yeah, yeah. I, I think it's very, very obvious that unless something changes dramatically really quickly, they were going to see a two-way fight for the title this year, which is fine. But... It's uh, not the the two cars I think a lot of people would have guessed going into the season. Yeah, I mean, I will say uh, personally, I I, th- I think Mercedes did pretty good, uh, all things considered, this week. I think George cementing himself in fourth place was, yep. well, honestly, was best case scenario, right? Like, I, I think for Mercedes to score fourth this week was like, that was the the. Uh, sorry, fifth, I should say fifth. I meant behind the top two teams was the best that they could have hoped for. I think... Um, Because last week, I don't think they even looked like they could have held that. 
Like, I know it was where they ended up being, right? They ended up scoring in third and fourth. But I think this week, George was much more decidedly in that position of best of the rest than Mercedes were last week. And unfortunately, I think we would have seen Lewis right there behind George. But Lewis had an unfortunate situation. You know, he was running real long. He was into lap 40-something, I think 45 maybe. Um, and it, there was a safety car. He would have gone in, an, a virtual safety car, and would have gone into pit. That was when those three cars had stopped. But they'd stopped right at the pit lane. So he was not able to take advantage of what, I guess, what they were hoping. Honestly, if it was allowed, I think Lewis would have gone to the end on that. <laughs> he would Like, he was doing fine. Um, that was one of my favorite moments. Uh, I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually gonna make this my personal favorite moment of the race because. So Lewis is talking uh, to Mono on the on the radio, and they, you know he's approaching the pit, and they say he can't go in, and Lewis goes ah, and it was just the sound <laughs> that he made. It was just like it was just like a really funny moment, like ah, he was just so upset at that one. Like understandably right, because he would have been able to get in then and make the the. Um, the change that he wanted, well, what unfortunately ended up happening was he had to take that change at his pit immediately after things took off again and had lost some of the gap that he had. So if he would have been able to pit without that safety car, I don't think he would necessarily have come back so late because they would have just taken that moment when they could, maybe taken it right at the very end, put him on softs. I don't know what they would have done, but I think that Lewis, Lewis scoring in the points, all, all things considered, was pretty good for him. Um, especially starting from where he did in qualifying, because, by the way, Lewis said that that was his fault. He felt that qualifying was his fault. I don't yeah. know if you read about this, but he asked for some tweaks to be made for the car that he wanted, and they were bad. <laughs> he made bad choices. So, so I will say I still have very large question marks around Mercedes-powered vehicles. Um, to be fair, Lando did all right this race, but I think a lot of this race, race was really a race of attrition. And when you have 12 cars mm. finishing, you're going to get some sort of unusual points finishers. Uh, I'm not feeling super, super great about where they are. To be fair, there was unreliability that pretty much struck everyone. I mean, Yuki was out on the installation lap before they even kind of got to the grid, which was very unfortunate, especially because I think he entirely missed out on qualifying yesterday as well with some kind of issue that they clearly weren't yep. able to fix. So... Look, these are brand new vehicles. This is a brand new sort of set of regulations. There are going to be unreliability issues. But what seems to be a little bit of a bigger issue than that is just a lack of speed. And it seems like the Mercedes-powered vehicles just don't have the speed. The works team is on top of it the most, as you would expect. But you look at McLaren, you look at especially at Racing Point. I'm sorry, not Racing Point. Aston Martin. Uh, I'm getting all my pink teams mixed up here. As well as yeah, Williams. I like that you said Racing Point, which would have been Alpine. But you meant Aston Martin. This is like... Like all over the place. <laughs> Dude, it's a crazy time. We've got Otmar. It is hard. It's hard to pick. <laughs> it's hard to pick Alpine out of the lineup right now. It yeah. is very difficult. I would give you that. Uh, but, you know, there were some other things that really did stand out to me throughout the race. So, look, I think we may have a little bit of a different opinion here. And while there are a lot of issues with this racetrack, as well as with where this race is happening... But you got to give it that this is one of the most thrilling racetracks that is on the calendar right now. It is nonstop I don't like it. action. I, I don't like it. It, it. it really puts me on edge. I do not like watching cars on this track. They, they, it's too fast. I, 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 am, I find a lot of the street circuits unnerving because they tend to be narrower. And I, I really don't like personally seeing um, the concrete blocks 
right at the side and but and this one being specifically targeted and marketed to be the fastest street circuit like that is an important thing for some reason like i don't know why you need to you know what i mean like why yeah. design a track to be that specific thing is if you want a fast race build a track right like saudi money could do that they've chosen they want it as a street circuit for whatever reason they want it in a certain part of the town there are many ways you can construct a racetrack. Fastest street <laughs> circuit is like, I don't know why. I know why you would want to build that. I know why they would want to build that so they can say they have it. I do not enjoy this uh, course. I will say it is thrilling. The thrilling nature of it is definitely there. I don't like feeling so nervous during, yeah. the, during a race. It's it. Look, I, I get it. And uh, from a safety point of view, could be much, much better. But it does kind of give me a little bit of that sort of like almost, not a great comparison, but almost like the old like uh, Nordish life, like Nürburgring sort of feel of like ridiculously unsafe, way too crazy, shouldn't be happening. <laughs> but it's like, you know, you want to go and see them go out there and race. And obviously, if you get it wrong, there's huge sort of penalties. But on the flip side, a lot of purpose-built race courses have a lot of margin for error. Oh, you get out, mm -hmm. you you missed the cut, the chicane, or whatever. It's fine. Guess what? You try to make a mistake here, that wall is going to bite you. Which means that when you see these crazy qualifying laps, like what we got from Checo yesterday, it means to me a lot more. When if you push it three more inches, you're in the wall versus you know yep. a normal track. Oh, what's that white line? Uh, I'll just drive over it. Who cares? Like it's, I, it's a little bit of a different. My feel. favorite kinds of tracks are the ones with gravel, because you go in the gravel, you can't get out. And so, like, there's still... No, but it's not like, say, um, the French Grand Prix or, like, the Circuit of Americas, right? Where, like, the runoff area is, is just more tarmac. It's just a different color, right? So you go off and you can come back on again. Where the gravel tracks, well, that's it. You're off, you're off, right? Like, we're not everywhere, but, like, there are certain corners. So that it has, I think, the same element of, like, you've got to pay attention here like there is no margin of error but it doesn't result in a car snapping in half yeah right? like that's just my personal because so it feels like there is still the thrill of risk but the risk isn't to the drivers themselves and like and i'm not saying that you are wrong for feeling away like this is just like a difference of opinion thing i i do not like the cornish circuit it it, it is it's, it just feels very uncomfortable to me well, to be fair, it will probably not have a space in the grid wall for many reasons, because not only is Saudi Arabia still, I believe, building a more purpose-built track that I believe is supposed to be coming in in the next two or three years. Uh, this was originally designed as a little more of a temporary circuit, although... I did not know that, but that's good to know. Yeah, So, the, but also just you know the fact that uh, given how this weekend went, how much of a future that race really has... Man, it's a 15-year deal worth a billion dollars, like... I think F1's going to do everything they can to keep it on the calendar. I, I would like to see something different because ultimately it did not seem like many of the drivers are very happy with that. Of course. Of course. With I mean, this weekend, right? Look, we're here to watch entertainment. Uh, no yep. one's here to see a missile land a few miles outside the track. No. Like, there's just there's no scenario in which that's just okay and normal and fine. And it's not um, going to change, right? Like, it, this this war has been going on for years. It's like, yeah. it's, it's for old tensions between Iran and Saudi Arabia and it's playing out there. And like, there's so much going on with it. It's not like we're going to come back next year. It's going to be fine. And and I think it was this was very clearly done for this exact reason, right? They they took out 
the plant of like the you know the storage facility of the sponsor of the race right like on the race weekend you know it's like so that's not going to change but yeah we, there's no yeah yeah to that. it's it's a it's a whole thing it's a whole thing but uh maybe getting a little ahead to some of the the viewer questions uh, in a little bit uh there are some other races that seem to be joining the calendar soon <clears throat> las vegas maybe yes yeah yeah i'm I- I will say, like, uh, this is very heavily rumored, but almost basically confirmed, right? Was it for next year, Las Vegas joining the calendar? Yes. Um, is there an expectation? I guess at the moment it would fill Sochi's place, right? So it's just as like a, an amount of to bring it back up to 23. Yeah, I, I believe so. Uh, what's been rumored, and I believe uh, according to ESPN, it seems fairly reputable, it's confirmed to them, uh, that we would be seeing it uh, during the Thanksgiving sort of time. So in November oh, of 2023, which smart. would be... Really exciting. That's not too far away from when the Austin Grand Prix is. So you can imagine maybe it's like Austin, Mexico, and Vegas. They're even talking about potentially New York being another U.S. race, which seems a little bit aggressive. I like New York so much. I don't, think. I don't even know how they would make that work. That seems no. like more of a... Uh, that seems impossible. Uh, yeah. That's a stretch goal right there. Like, yeah, yeah. Also, look... We do not need four American Grand Prix. Yeah, we do. All right? Chill yeah, do. out, okay? You've liked, you know, Americans have liked the sport for 18 months. Calm <laughs> down. There's a lot of the rest of the world, right? Why don't we do two in the United Kingdom, right? Like, nah, let's nah. do one here. We'll do one up in Scotland. Like, we're going to have a great time, right? Like, come on. We just get one, and now you're like, ah, we'll have four, right? Like, let's go one at a time, all right? Okay. So, Las Vegas yep. would be very high on my list of a place to because it will obviously be a street circuit right yeah because driving those cars down the strip would be amazing right so like i am all into that and it will just visibly look incredible right like uh, again logistically i don't know how they make it work but las vegas is all about logistics like it is a logistics town right there's always some kind of event happening there um it would be an incredible place to do a grand prix Absolutely. I actually was in Las Vegas fairly recently, and they've done a lot just in the last couple of years because there's now an NFL team in town, so they've built a huge stadium on the other side of the freeway. It does seem like a place that I think, personally, just yeah, I'd like to go to Vegas and hang out and watch the race, but I actually think it would have some real advantage if they can get the track right, because let's not forget, there were... F1 races in Vegas, I believe, in the early 80s, and it was like in a glorified parking lot. Like, it was absolutely <laughs> terrible. I'd like to think that they can learn from their mistakes and actually build a really cool street circus in, uh, circuit in Vegas. I will say, though, as someone who's driven a lot in Las Vegas, talk about a flat, boring area. They're going to have to do some real work to kind of build it up. And I have similar concerns about the Miami Grand Prix as well, as far as how they're going to be able to make these street circuits, which will obviously sell a ton of tickets, actually good places to race. But regardless, and we're a little on a tangent here, but... Uh, if for a multitude of reasons the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix falls off, can I just off, say that the chat right now? Every American in the chat is saying, "But America's as big as Europe." Here's the thing: Europe <laughs> has a long love and history with Formula One. This is my point, right? Like, give it a little time to breathe, okay? Like, this is my what I'm trying to say is yes. Of, we're not talking about landmass. I'm talking about like history. We can't. We're not going to put the cart before the horse here because, as well, we can't just keep forever adding races into the calendar, right? Like you can't keep making. I know Formula One would probably love this. You can't just keep making the season bigger and bigger. So let's like, okay, we'll add Vegas in. Great. 
let's just chill before we add like another American Grand Prix into the calendar just because America loves Formula One now, okay? Okay. This is what I'm saying. It's not about size. It's about history, all right? This is a historic <laughs> sport. I'm gonna we just... went for a long time without a Grand Prix in the UK, by the way. Like, I, a very long time. So Look, look, look Mike, I, I'm not going to argue with your history. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the UK and Formula One are very close. And it seems like it's really unfair that the United States now has a bunch of cool races. And y'all don't. And uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, we have, but I look we forward- have the one that everyone says, best and most important. I think that's what they say. I, don't I think, think so. They say, no, no, I think they say best, most important. We'll find out in July. We'll find out. That's it. Someone will say it. We'll see about one that. Of, one of the commentary team will say it because they're all English. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. Someone's going to say it. <laughs> I'm detecting a, a hint of bias here. Uh, <laughs> nah. uh, look, so. I've already said, this show is all about my biases, and I'm owning them, and I don't care. Right? It's like I can say, oh, man, Mercedes are great this weekend. And I, you know what? In my heart, I mean it. But your reaction told me that maybe they weren't so much. I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> well, speaking of things that are going to be a little uh, hard to agree on, how about our favorite backmarker of the race? Considering that ah. only 12 cars finished, we don't have a, a huge selection here. But uh, I can't believe this is the second time we're doing this, and there was, again, no backmarkers on this race. That Nobody finished. I don't think anyone finished having been lapped. Um, but who would you say was your back marker of the race? So I'm going to, again, be a little creative with my interpretation here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give Alex Albon my back marker of the race. He had a very respectable race. It seems like that Williams is just not a good car this year. And while we haven't quite seen Alex sort of drag it up the order the way that we saw George do a lot over the last couple of years, it was a decent race. And I'm going to throw an asterisk here. I'm going to throw an asterisk here. He was involved in a very late collision with Stroll. Yeah, he didn't finish. You know yeah, that, right? I, like I said. <laughs> I just want you to know. <laughs> I'm being uh, creative with my interpretations here. So uh, from the TV replay, it did seem like a little bit more. If he was pulling off a nice move and Stroll kind of came in on him a little bit. To be fair, uh, I may change my opinion on this if I watch the replay from a couple different angles. But uh, look, slim pickings today, man. There's not a lot of, uh, not a lot of great options. <laughs> Uh, Lewis, I'm just saying Lewis Hamilton. I, he, he went from 15th to 10th. You know, it was a great race for him. You're you making know? fun but of like, me, and you're giving mm-hmm. Lewis Hamilton this seven-time Formula One world champion backmarker of the race? Yes, I will agree with you for Alex, too, though. I think Alex did have a good showing. I don't know who was at fault. I can't work out who was at fault between him and Lance. I think this might be one of those situations where like, maybe nobody really played things right there. Um, but I, I will, my, again, in my, my heart says Lewis just because I'm, you know, I'm so proud of him from going from 15 to 10. But I, this is not realistic. Uh, I, will, I will probably go again with you, uh, with Alex. I mean, honestly, Lance Stroll probably would have been it. But like Lance was having a pretty decent race but fell off towards the end. Um, Alex Albon, I think, is definitely filling the George Russell role at Williams right now. Of yeah. getting more out of that car than that car actually has to give. Or <laughs> maybe Nicholas Latifi is just not very good. Oh. <laughs> and and it, the, the situation is Williams could be doing more, uh, but they just can't get there. Yeah, look, uh, two races in. This is making uh, a certain Nicholas Latifi look pretty bad. 
It yeah. was one thing when Mazepin was around, sort of dragging the rear of the field, and sort of was you know it was clear that that was sort of way off the pace. I think this season is not showing too kindly on our on our Canadian friend here. But uh, I was really surprised, honestly, when Williams signed him again because there are young drivers, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, you think it's money? I think it's money. I mean, of course it's money, right? I mean, uh, I know his dad brings a lot of money to the team. Uh, what sponsors come through Latifi? Do you know? Uh, don't quote me on this. I think it's the the coffee, the Lavazza coffee. I, I'm oh, really? fairly sure that his dad is in the food industry. I'm not okay. entirely sure, but I, I believe that's where the, the money comes from. And I'm... Okay. Fairly certain that Latifi brings some pretty heavy sponsorships with his uh, with his race seat. Uh, maybe don't quote me on the exact details, but I, I believe that's it. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm curious though, Mike. What was your favorite thing of the race? Because there were a lot of moments, and actually, much like last week, there was a little bit yep. of a lull toward the middle. It got a little quiet. Nothing was really happening, and then just like last week, we get close to the end, and then bam, it all pops off. So, what was your favorite yep. moment from the race? Well, I mean, obviously, aside from Lewis, it's, oh, which is just like, that was just like a fun <laughs> moment for me. Uh, it, it, the last 10 laps are incredible. It's just, again, um, I will say I am really enjoying Leclerc versus Verstappen. Oh, yes, absolutely. I am really enjoying it. Uh, it's different in feeling at the moment between Verstappen and Hamilton. Uh, Verstappen, Hamilton... I mean, maybe it was. It really kind of led this way. Honestly, it could it could go this way between Leclerc and and Verstappen. Um, Hamilton Verstappen felt more violent. Mm. Um, it it felt more explosive. Uh, it didn't feel very sportsman like in a lot of instances between the two of them. Um, there felt like there was some bad blood at certain points. I think as the season went on, it became a little bit like that. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, it definitely feels more sporting between Leclerc and Verstappen, um, and I'm loving it. I mean, as we stand right now, um, I would be incredibly happy with Charles Leclerc winning this season. Like, he is becoming just more and more of an exciting driver to watch, and I'm really here for it, big time. Yeah, I agree. I think the last couple of races, I, there's been, you know, obviously Ferrari has been incredibly convinced by him for a number of years now, but this is really the first opportunity he's gotten with a true, really, really competitive car, not counting the uh, slightly questionable 2018 Ferrari, which uh, maybe had a couple extra horsepower they weren't supposed to have. But mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've seen sort of over the last couple of years some sort of questioning of like, is Leclerc really up to the level of someone like Verstappen, right? And uh, I never really quite bought that, but now, especially now that we've seen the proof that he absolutely is, I am completely convinced. I would be thrilled to see Charles. I mean, like to me, it is really difficult to pick between Max and Charles right now, as far as who's sort of the better driver. I think they are in a league of their own in a lot of ways. Not only just in the the fact that they're in the two best cars, but I think it's hard to argue that they are not the two best drivers on the grid right now. I mean, sure, you can make a, an argument for Lewis, yep. and you can make an argument that maybe uh, you all know, George. Considered. I, you have to consider all things, and we can't know what George and Lewis have against them right now because their car's not competitive. Exactly. I think we're still going to give it halfway through. I genuinely believe halfway through the season, 
the situation. I said this last time. I still think it's gonna. There's gonna be a different. This is why, like, for me as a Mercedes fan right now, I'm like, okay, guys, like, if you keep putting in best of the rest type finishes, it protects you for later on. Because sure. if Mercedes can pull it out to the front, then one of Ferrari or Red Bull is going to be back in best of the rest kind of situation, right? Like in these races. So this is still way too early. Like, it's way too early to count anything. We're two races into 23 races, right? Like, anything can happen. Like, last week... No Red Bulls finished at all, right? Like yep. that, any of this stuff can happen. So it's still too early to tell. Um, but yeah, I I think right now it's definitely between them. Um, and with where things are sitting right now and the constructors, especially Ferrari, are pulling away seventy eight points of Mercedes at thirty eight, Red Bull thirty seven. Yeah, yeah. I I am happy to see the lack of toxicity. I, it just—it really does feel like a breath of fresh air. See, not only these two guys who mm. you know have a long history together, but really being able to go wheel to wheel every race for the win, which is phenomenal. Uh, yeah, I will say so- Colin and Gavin in the in the live chat pointed out something that I did note, which was yes, it did seem sporting. However, Max was getting pretty upset. In ways that he would get upset at Lewis, right? Of like, you know, like he's on the radio and he's like, hey, yeah. my favorite part is his lights aren't working. Like, why is this? <laughs> like, I think the commentators were making fun of him. I think Jensen Button was kind of like, I don't know why he cares. Like, I don't know what he is getting or not getting out of this. Look, man, I am a fan of Max. I, I like the way he is super aggressive. and uh, But he comes off a little whiny sometimes i think would be mm-hmm. a good way to put it a little like hey, last week he was it. this week just a little bit he's quick to be jumping on that radio i'm like oh no this that like i get it you know you're in the heat of the moment but uh i feel like you don't get that I, much genuinely i think this comes from a culture at red bull of being this way and and i think and i don't blame them for this because they spent so much time as team number two or three and they had to do everything they could to claw out any type of advantage they could get and this is something horn has spoken about a bunch of like you know there are rules and we use everything to our advantage and i think that they especially with lewis last year got into this like anything they could do to get to them and i i I genuinely think too it also brought some of this out from mercedes too towards the end of the season of like any advantage they could get over each other whether it's like you know he went too close to this line or he wasn't looking at the flag like i noticed it in drive to survive where lewis was like pointing at the screen and being like Oh, look, you can see the, the flag lights on, right? Because there was a, a violation that Max got a penalty for it. For I think it was during a qualifying session when um, there was a yellow flag and Max didn't slow down or sped up or something, which, again, is illegal, but like I think it brings this out in them. And I think, honestly, at the moment, Max is still holding on to this. Uh, like, I, and Chris is laughing about me saying everything's Christian Horner's fault. I do believe that Christian, <laughs> as the team principal, creates a culture that the other team, that everyone oh. in the team will will believe in. Or I could just say it's Max's fault. You know, like whatever way you want to go. But like, I do think that it comes from Horner. Like, and then and, and Max has been pulling from it a little bit. I mean, look, I feel like we're gonna get dangerously into like psychologist kind of mode here. But I mean, look, uh, a lot of the drivers on the grid come from very privileged backgrounds. And especially yeah. when you look at someone, not to single them out, but like Max, right? 
Uh, his dad was a fairly successful Formula One driver. You know, sort of that was really kind of what he was destined to do, right? And he has been at a team for a number of years where not only did he break all these records by, you know, skipping what pretty much every other driver in history has done of going up the ladder. He pretty much went straight from karts one year in F3, then right into Formula One, won his debut Grand Prix when he moved up from Toro Rosso up to Red Bull. An incredibly talented individual, but also an incredibly talented individual who the team loves, who has had this amazing sort of upbringing with just every advantage that you really could could imagine. Mm. And he's had that team built around him. So that team is used to doing whatever it is to give Max the absolute best shot because yeah. they think yeah. that yeah. he's their best hope, right? And none of this is wrong, right? He I is would at I, the moment. Sure, but it's like, I, I would never want to blame someone from having a, a privileged upbringing or anything like that. I mean, that, that look, that's not up to him, you know? Like, he, he was born, everything worked. But I also think that sometimes it's worth putting into context where some of these drivers come from and kind of the the backgrounds behind it. Because there mm. are certainly other people in the field who did not have such advantages and tend not to have so many hissy fits on the radio. So I don't know. I'll, again, I'll take off my psychologist hat real quick for a second. But I, I some of this stuff is just like, well... You know, he kind of sounds like a spoiled rich kid because, you know, yeah. Uh, that's all, it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> one, one final thing I wanted to, to just spend a minute or two on from the race today was the really great fight bet- between the Alpine drivers early on yes. in the race. That was great. Ocon and Alonso, they really went for it for a while. Um, Otmar was basically saying we're letting him race <laughs> very nervously saying we're letting him race <laughs> letting them race <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever they want to do uh, and I love I think uh, Crofty said on the on the commentary like I mean it's great for the team because we've been looking at these guys for like 10 minutes now like this is what the sponsors want you know true um, and so like you know the, racing like that can actually benefit the team as long as they keep it clean uh, there were a few moments where it looked like it wasn't going to be kept clean but ultimately they did and they called time on it eventually yeah uh, but that that action really was what made it sad for me that Alonso uh, was had to, to pull out of the race because he had a great race it, it was an absolute great race right and I mean again you know unreliability sort of randomly hits everyone and you know I'm sure we'll see a lot more of it throughout the year but that was a terrific scrap and it's nice to see mm. I feel like Alpine had low expectations going into this year certainly for me I had very low expectations and part of it I do think is because they have a decent power unit it seems like Mercedes have taken a step mm-hmm. back so that sort of just dropped out most of the competition to a sort of a league below them uh, that being said, though, I think they have a solid driver lineup. Uh, it's, it's so great to see after all these years, Alonso sharp as ever, man, absolutely just yep. on top of his game, and Alcon really being able to hold up. I mean, that was super exciting. But and you know, I'm gonna 100% sound like a broken record here. Shout out to these cars. Look at how oh, yeah, good man. this racing mm. has been. Look how good yep. it. Like they're following, they're passing. I mean, mind you, at this particular track, there aren't a ton of individual places that you could pass, and the DRS is so powerful. Like again, I think we're gonna get a few more races into this year, and we might start seeing some of those DRS get trimmed, or maybe not. Because honestly, it's it's good. I don't good need races. this all the time. I don't need this all the time. Yeah, but I just need it sometimes. You know, it's. I mean, it's great to see. You know, like Max and Charles yeah. like racing to see who can like slow down the most, yeah. so who doesn't have to like cross the DRS detection zone first. Everything. It yeah, really like if you see. can have six laps where the lead is changing each lap, like I haven't seen this 
it, no, it, in the time that I've been watching the sport. So I, I am loving it. I'm loving it. And this is actually, we had a few listener questions. Uh, Mac wrote in and asked if we could explain what DRS is. We don't have to, I don't think we have to get super technical with this because oh, yeah. that's kind of not the point. But can you give an explanation of DRS? Because we mention it a lot. Absolutely, yeah. DRS, if you are a new Formula One watcher, is a phrase you've probably heard a lot. Uh, basically, it is known as the drag reduction system. So every car has a fairly big uh, rear wing. And, you know, it's very important for, you know, as you're going through the corners to generate maximum downforce, really kind of push the cars down into the ground to give them a lot of grip so they can rip around corners at 170 miles an hour. However, what's not needed is when you're going down the straight, that huge wing that's just sort of slowing the cars down. So a number of years ago, 10 years ago or something like that, Formula One developed the DRS system, really because it was getting very difficult for cars to pass. Because there's always like a slipstream, right? You know, if you're behind a car on the track, they're sort of punching a hole in the air. You're going to have a little bit of an advantage following them. But it was very difficult to pass for quite a while. In fact, it still is even, even today with DRS. So what the DRS system does is it opens up a flap in the rear wing and uh, gives the car behind a pretty significant speed advantage. Now, DRS uh, is a little different per track. So per every track has at least one DRS zone. Some have two. I believe some tracks have three as well. But basically, I think, what happens is... I think is, Jetta has three. Yeah, and I believe... Monaco might be the only one with one. I'd have to double check. But regardless, every track has at least one of these. You can't overtake it, Monaco. So what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just gets faster for a second and then they carry on. That's exactly it. But the way DRS works is really simple. So every car, if they are within one second of the car in front, so say Max is, you know, eight-tenths of a second behind Charles going into the detection zone, which, to be important, that's actually not on the straight. It's always before the corner. So, for example, when we saw Max and Charles kind of go back and forth, they were racing to see who could cross that little DRS detection line second because whoever crossed that line second if you're within a one second interval of the car in front of you means that you're going to get the advantage of DRS. So when they came around that last corner, they accelerated that long straight the car who's behind gets a little sort of beep in their ear. They get to press a button on the steering wheel. And throughout that straightaway, once they hit that zone, they're able to open up a flap in the rear wing, which is going to allow a lot more, or I guess remove a lot of the drag, meaning they're going to get a very large speed advantage, which is why we were seeing these just drive-by passes, just if the car had the DRS and they could just fly by. And that's why we were seeing a lot of the antics between, you know, like we even saw like Lewis and Magnuson kind of going back and forth. And like Lewis passed him at one point, but like obviously he like let him by because he knew is going to pick up that DRS is a very mm -hmm. powerful thing. It is something that has a fair bit of criticism as well because it does make a lot of these passes look easy, right? Just, hey, stay behind someone and then you'll be able to easily catch up with them later on. And, you know, as long as you can be close to them through that detection zone, you're going to get a huge speed advantage. But that's sort yeah, of... Yeah, we might be calling nutshell. that move the Leclerc, right? Because this was a thing <laughs> that came out after the race last week where he was letting Max get ahead of him at a certain point in the track, I think going into turn one, maybe. Um, so he was able to overtake Max again. So he would never let Max get DRS. And Leclerc, I think, is very smart, knew that Max would at any opportunity overtake. You give yes. him any opportunity, he's going to go for it. He's going to go for it. And yeah. I think we were seeing that maybe again a little bit today. We're like, Leclerc did this to him again at one point during the race again. It was very clear that he let he pulled back and Max immediately took that point and then Leclerc got the DRS again to go around him. So yeah. DRS is really interesting. I think it it levels things out a little bit, um, which I think makes a lot of sense for it to exist because otherwise there would be 
very little overtaking without yeah. DRS, I think. And sort of just to go a little deeper into it, there was a thought with these new cars and the new regulations that the DRS wouldn't actually necessarily be necessary. Like maybe it could be phased out. It seems unlikely. Obviously, we're only two races in, but it seems unlikely right now that you could just get rid of DRS. And it's tough because, I mean, obviously, the best overtakes are the ones where it's not someone flying by doing 30 miles mm-hmm. an hour faster, but it's actually mm-hmm. proper wheel-to-wheel stuff. But if you imagine if they turned off DRS for a race, it would be, in all likelihood, a much more boring race. And I think that... yeah. Uh, we're we're missing classic moments, right? I mean, it's great to see, you know, Max dive bombing from, you know, a quarter mile behind or something like that's, that's fun to see. And to be fair, you know, it's, it's, it's better than nothing, but uh, it's not pure. And so that's what I think a lot of, especially sort of long time formula one fans who grew up watching the sport before DRS was a thing, uh, kind of miss the, the old days, but I think those rose-tinted glasses also uh, kind of help you forget that, oh, yeah, remember the days when, you know, uh, Mick, uh, Michael Schumacher was 50 seconds ahead of second place? It was it was a little bit of a different era, and there was certainly a lack of passing back in the day, too. It's just we think about those, like, crazy overtakes of, like, oh, my God, it was insane, but that happened, like, twice a uh, season, so it wasn't, wasn't as exciting. Maybe, like, maybe a couple of years into these new cars, as the cars kind of potentially get closer to each other over time we might not need it right like the, yeah. if they can drive closer to each other and there's less because uh, there is a potential of some of these uh, there being more bunches in the field again like we saw in previous seasons as a few teams improve a few teams will slide back down the pecking order it, it maybe we wouldn't need drs as much but for the time being i like it i like that it's there it adds a bit of drama in Absolutely. I think there's also middle grounds here, right? Because it's different at every track, right? So there's a couple of variables. So it's where they have the detection zone, which is one thing. But also they have like a limit of where they actually let you turn on DRS. It's not like as soon as you like hit the straightaway, you can open it up. They have like a line where it's like, you know, maybe it's quarter of the way down or a third of the way down or something. They can make DRS less powerful just by not letting you use it for quite as long. Because as soon as you hit the brakes, that wing has to close back up, right? Mm -hmm. So it's only for that straight, but they can only, you know, let you use it for half it or something. So I think mm-hmm. there are tools that they can use per track, especially once they have a little bit of a better understanding of how these vehicles work, to uh, soften the uh, the approach of DRS. But regardless, it's going to be a thing that you're going to hear about for not only the rest of this year, but probably for several years to come. So that's kind of uh, maybe a long-winded explanation of what the drag reduction system is all about with those flappy rear wings on uh, on the back of yeah. all the cars. Uh, if you want to send in any questions to us, maybe there's some we can answer for you. Uh, if you're not in the live chat and asking there, you can tweet to us. We are at Backmarkers Live. Uh, you can send us some tweets and maybe we could pick some out for future episodes. I appreciated that question uh, from Mac. We do have one more question that I wanted to get to, but it's part of the next race preview. So we're going to Melbourne in two weeks, which... I'm excited about because I've not seen an Australian Grand Prix in the last two years. So I've never seen the Melbourne race. Um, It's going to be intriguing for me from a uh, time in the morning standpoint, Mm. um, which I'm going to be more on your level of what time the races start. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about the, the Australian Grand Prix. Absolutely. So we're going to take off next week. So there's no race for next weekend. Mm-hmm. But the following week, we will be live down under. And uh, I'll say, uh, obviously, there's a little bit of a history here. So we did not go to Australia in 2021. And technically, there was no race in 2020, although that was 
literally like the night before or whatever when uh you know it got shut down due to covid and mm-hmm. obviously that was a huge huge thing a big part of drive to survive if you watch that season but regardless it is a very Great episode fun of track. drive to survive that uh, one really really good episode of drive to survive i was during the, all the saudi uh should we cancel the race kind of drama i was thinking all about lewis's like money talks kind of line a lot mm-hmm. like Ca- cash mm-hmm. is king cash I think is king is the, he yep. used that twice. He also used that at Spa with the rainy Spa. With the raining, yeah. He said cash is king there. Yeah. So. Uh, complicated. But regardless, uh, Melbourne, I think, is it's got a reputation of not being the most exciting track on the calendar. Uh, for me, who has driven around it dozens of times in the Formula One games, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. It is also... That's my only <laughs> experience with it, is driving it in the F1 uh, PlayStation game. Well, what will be interesting is actually this is the first time that we're going to Melbourne with the new layout. So uh, I don't remember if it was in the end of 2018 or whatever, mm-hmm. but regardless, the current cars have never raced at this configuration. So they've tweaked some of the corners, they've kind of opened it up, again, to kind of help promote better racing. So we'll see. I'm hopeful it'll be a pretty entertaining race. It's certainly a fun track to watch but if you're listening to us live or watching us live keep in mind that because we are racing in australia it is going to be at probably the wackiest time of the year so definitely check with the uh, the f1 site or just your local calendar i'll say if you're on the u.s west coast i believe it's like 10 or 11 o'clock at night on saturday which is very strange <laughs> uh, consider that as a different day for you it is yeah it's my yeah. saturday night race which uh <laughs> it's nascar i guess yeah yeah it's super early in the morning here i think the race kicks off at 6 a.m uh uk time you can feel so. my pain because most of the european races are 6 a.m for me so yeah i've done hey. it once uh when we we were in hawaii uh last year on vacation there was one of the i think it was i actually think it was Jeddah. i think it was i think it was saudi arabia and it was just like super weird time like very 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 early in the morning um wendell asked Mercedes is said to be bringing some upgrades for the Australian Grand Prix. Would it make enough of a difference to bring them back to the front? Mm, I mean, there's no way of knowing. Like, zero way of knowing. I mean, they could have an entirely new car, right? I mean, we, we, we don't know. But I think we could take an educated guess. And my educated guess is no. I think Mercedes are too far back. I think they're battling on a bunch of fronts. because. So the thing is... For context, when we started the last era, the turbo hybrid era in 2014, Mercedes started out with a huge advantage because they had a great power unit. They were kind of put everyone else on the back foot. And then they sort of capitalized on that and they held their advantage throughout the entire seven, eight, nine year run, right? I don't think that that's necessarily what's going to happen. I don't think Mercedes are behind now, but it's easy for these things to snowball, right? So the issues that Mercedes have, number one, their car is porpoising, which is a whole thing onto its own. But long story short, the cars are bouncing up and down on the straight because they have this thing called ground effect, which is sort of a suction to hold the car down to the ground. But because they have to run these cars so low and so stiff that when that suction comes undone, the car bounces up and it sucks down and bounces up and sucks down. A lot of cars, most of the cars on the grid are sort of suffering from this, but Mercedes certainly are one of the worst uh, cars to have to deal with it. And that just makes the cars slow and it makes the cars less confidence inspiring. If you're George Russell and you're blasting into a corner at 170 miles an hour, you might think twice about going super late when your car's like, not good, right? So that's one of the issues they're running with. The other issue is the power unit. I 
everyone's being a little cautious. Everyone's like, oh, well, we have to wait and see. Look, I'm going to say Mercedes have a real power unit deficiency compared to the rest of the field. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's the fuel. I don't know if something is wrong with that Mercedes power unit from a power perspective. It is not a coincidence that two races in a row, we see nothing but Mercedes cars on the bottom of the order if they're qualifying, not doing well in the races. I think that they have two issues to work with. And my concern for Mercedes is that while they obviously have an incredibly sort of talented team that they're, you know, clearly have this, you know, amazing run of, of constructors championships over the last eight years or nine years or whatever. The problem is, is that with the budget cap in place, which is the same amount of money that all the teams have, or at least they can spend up to that number. It's like 140 or 145 million. It's a lot less than Mercedes used to have to work with. Same thing with like Ferrari. And because of that, Mercedes now are dealing with not the unlimited piles of cash they used to, to be able to quickly catch up. And they're fighting a sort of battle on multiple fronts to try to recover performance from their power unit and to get on top of the design of their car. Guess what? By the time they even put a dent in a lot of that issue, Red Bull and Mercedes, I mean, Red Bull and Ferrari could be a half second up the road because they've, you know, found all these new aero bits because they're not wasting their time trying to get on top of a basic issue so well similarly though issues can occur throughout the season true very true new ones and also improvements can go backwards we've seen this a bunch of times we make some improvements to the car ah that wasn't right we revert now it's even more wrong like this is the kind of stuff you can see right i would say um the one i think ray of hope for me is during qualifying very frequently either George or Lewis will hit either a purple or they'll be on time, right, in a sector. Because what it seems like they're struggling with is the straight line speed, which is potentially more of a porpoising problem. The porpoising seems easier to fix than if they have significant power unit disadvantages, right? Like, it's un- it's unclear, right? Because you say, I agree with you, right? There is clearly a power unit problem, but they are performing vastly better than the other cars with Mercedes power units. So it's difficult it's difficult to say and again i feel like i do not think mercedes are going to win the championship i just want to say that i could do at this point i do not think that's going to happen but i do i do believe that by halfway through the season they're going to be back i think back in contention again we'll see we'll see i would love to see it a three-way fight for the championship or even three-way fights for the like the race would be incredible but i think if you're a mercedes fan you better pull your pull your underwear up tighten your belt Put your bathrobe on. I'm not really sure why I've got a lot of weird what metaphors here. What is this dress that you're making me put on here? Prepare I'm yourself. pulling my underwear up, tightening yep. my belt. Where yep. is the belt? And then putting on my bathrobe. That's, yes. that's what I need to do? That's what you're Interesting. doing. Interesting. All right, I'll work do. on that for next week. It's going to be an early race. I might be, maybe I'll still be in my bathrobe. I, for me, like I'm just hoping we get to the end of the season, we get some uh, Mercedes wins, and then we go into next season. Like. And for me, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I've come to accept this. I'm taking every uh, positive. It's like, this is great. This has happened. And now I'm putting everything in my mind behind Charles Leclerc. That's where I am. Okay. I Look, uh, I know we already made our predictions last time, but I think Ferrari and Charles are looking good. But keep in mind, we're two races into a 23-race season. A lot can and will happen. I would be very surprised if it's not Red Bull and Ferrari at one and two in one of those orders. I think that seems pretty safe right now, but it's very early. It's hard to say. So let's get a few more races in. And I wouldn't count out Mercedes. I just want, I, do, I, I feel like I can't count them out. Who knows, right? 
It's, yeah. It, again, it's just saying we are two races in. It's and really not just we are two weeks in. Yeah. That's even more of a thing, right? Because we've got two weeks now. Right now, in a week, they have made some changes, and especially George performed much better in qualifying, right, mm-hmm. than he did the week before, and also I think had a pretty successful race. Like, yeah. George was racing on his own. Like, he was far from who was in front of him. He was far ahead of who was behind him, right? Where Alpine were way more competitive against Mercedes last week than they were this week. So, yeah, we'll find, it's going to be interesting to see. So, I will say I am really excited uh, for Melbourne because Absolutely. it's going to be something new. And also, who knows where we're going to be in two weeks' time. Yeah, well, I know where we'll be. Right here, recording the next episode of The Backmarkers. So don't forget, you can ca- catch us recording live on our YouTube channel. The easiest way to get there is to go to backmarkers.live. You can also search for The Backmarkers on YouTube. Uh, we are I got us our Vanit URL on YouTube, by the way. And we are Unfortunately, could not get Backmarkers, so we are <laughs> slash The Backmarkers on YouTube. But at least that makes it easier to find us. But backmarkers.live is the easiest way. Uh, if you can't catch the video version, you need the audio version, we are also at relay.fm slash backmarkers. You can whichever way you want, and don't forget to come uh, follow us on Twitter. Send in your questions at Backmarkers Live. Austin is at Austin, not Duncan. I am at iMike, I M Y K E. And thank you so much for checking out this uh, second episode here at the Backmarkers. I cannot wait to talk about the rest of the season with you, Austin. Uh, and thank you all for watching and or listening. And we'll be back in two weeks' time. We need to get a sound effects budget, I think, actually. I mean, I can do them, but why would I when you're so good at them? Mm